WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell his story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today. At least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshall guys, yes, no? Correct, yeah. That's right. There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now. And it's you. It's me. I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Well, I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie good. Becky. You ready? i got to tell you that uh, it's really nice to hear Aerosmith on the intro there. You're going to be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that, but... <laughs> we have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming-Sai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. We'll jump right into uh, our lineup. So we have a uh, a lot of conversation this evening. Uh, we'll kick things off in just a few moments uh, with the State House Report. State Senator John Keenan. We have multiple things to, to chat with the, the senator about from uh, his recent uh, jaunt down to Washington, D.C. Uh, even uh, chat with him about the, the gun bill, which is making its way over to the state Senate. Um don't know if folks know this or not, but uh, I know that the senator also uh, did some works in effectively removing the state from the biannual tradition of daylight savings. We'll talk a little bit about that. Also, uh, even chat with him about the uh, criminal revenge pornography uh, bill that uh, he has uh, put forth. Well, it's uh, Veterans Day. I know that he was very busy in the district, uh, in and around uh, his district of uh, Norfolk and Plymouth. Uh, as he was getting out to, to see the folks and marching in parades and uh, attending various functions. Uh, we're going to follow that up with uh, a little conversation in regards to a grand opening today for uh, a new um, luxury, well, it's a, a complex. Now, it's, I believe that this is called uh, this Monarch Communities New Senior Living Brand. They actually had a, a grand opening today. And uh, we're expecting to hear from either Michael or Nigel to give us uh, the uh, all the details as to what's different about this particular location uh, for folks who are seniors as to your traditional uh, housing for, for seniors. Uh, they'll be joining us uh, at the bottom of the hour. And then we'll speak with uh, Mayor, Weymouth Mayor, Bob Hedlund. We'll get his take on being reelected to a third term, kind of his focus on the next four years, where he sees uh, some of the things that'll uh, be done as uh, Weymouth continues to transform, maybe even some of the things that are happening up on Beacon Hill, where he uh, once uh, you know spent his time. Uh, hour number two, Michelle McGrath um, for McGrath PR and Media Relations. Give us a little bit of a holiday and winter arts preview. If you're somebody who's for looking for things to do over the next few weeks, maybe to get out during the weekend, uh, you might want to tune in and check it out. Then we close things out uh, with uh, the folks from True Repertory Theater, Victoria Bond and Melanie Gillespie. So they're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming production of Ellen's Boys 
the Irish Cultural Center in Canton. But right now, we turn our, our attention to uh, State Senator John Keenan, who is joining us. Senator, welcome back to Monday Night Talk, sir. Good. Great to be back. Nice, nice to, to chat with you. How, were, how have the past few days been for you? I, I've seen you in multiple places uh, in and around the district, uh, getting out and celebrating our veterans. Talk to us about it. It's been busy, and actually Veterans Day has turned into Veterans Week, and in some cases Veterans Month, which I think is appropriate. Getting out around the district, um, some of the events I hit were in uh, Abington. Um, we had the Veterans Luncheon, which is always a great event, and uh, the Veterans Service Agent Adam Gunn did a great job with it this year, as, as did all the people at the Council on Aging and those that provided food and assistance, uh, students. It was really a great community event, so it was nice to see that. I marched in the Quincy Parade, which is a Veterans Day tradition, and that was uh, well attended, and it was great to see people coming out and supporting veterans in Braintree. Uh, one of the interesting things was I, again, had the opportunity to go to the high school and hear veterans talk directly with students in the classrooms and to hear their stories of their experiences in the service and then the questions that that prompted from the students um, really left you feeling pretty good about the next generation. They were interested in uh, military service, uh, asking very uh, on-point questions, and really showing respect and honoring the veterans that were there, talking with them. So those are just a few of the events. It certainly has been a busy time, and um, appropriately so. Interesting enough, uh, Governor Healy uh, put forth a, a bill, some legislation in regards to our veterans and, and helping them. Uh, what's your understanding of this legislation? Well, it's called the HERO Act, and it, and it does uh, a, a few things. Um, it increases or expands access to behavioral health treatment for veterans and allows them to be reimbursed for visits to outpatient behavioral health providers. So that should allow them to get more immediate uh, attention when needed, immediate care when needed. It uh, increases something that, that I've worked on for several years the veteran annuity for Gold Star families and those with 100% disability rating, it increases those payments from $2,000 to $2,500. Um, I testified today on a bill that would raise it to $3,000. The um, annuity has not been increased since 2006. It also uh, increases a tax credit for small businesses who hire veterans. It allows veterans who are employed at the state and local level to buy back or get credit for their military service, and that credit would apply in the state or local pension systems. We have an issue where we find that Social Security benefits increase. Sometimes it results in veterans being ineligible for Chapter 115 benefits. The legislation would eliminate what they call that COLA cliff, which is uh, very helpful to veterans. It allows municipalities on a local option to uh, increase veteran property tax exemptions, and then in a broader sense, it expands the definition of veterans to make sure that it's consistent with federal definitions so that anybody in Massachusetts is insured of being eligible for those benefits because the definitions of a veteran would match. And then it also just goes to kind of modernize veteran services in general. So there's an awful lot in the bill. It will go through the legislative process, and I'm sure the result will be that many of these provisions will be enacted, and it will... Um, keep Massachusetts as it is now in the forefront of providing veterans benefits. Well, I, I'm glad to see that uh, as a society, we're doing better when it comes to the folks who have either served or are providing service, serving our country, that we are recognizing them and that we are taking care of them accordingly. 
Right. It's so important. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you took a little bit of a trip down to D.C., even had a brush with the El Presidente. Uh, Talk to me about that. I did. We're working on legislation that has to do with revenge porn. We're one of two states in the country that has not passed legislation that would criminalize the sharing of explicit images on the Internet without the consent of the person depicted. Forty-eight other states say that if you take or record or create an image um, with consent, uh, in order to share it, you have to have consent to share it. Otherwise, it's a criminal offense. In Massachusetts, there's a loophole where somebody can share an image without the, the permission of the person who's depicted in that explicit image. It's not a crime here in Massachusetts. So this legislation would make it a crime. In the course of working on that, we were in contact with the White House's policy office. And then a few weeks after that, I was invited to go down to Washington, D.C., because what we're looking at on our bill is like a kind of a deep fake artificial intelligence component that's still in the works. But um, in any event, I was invited down to the signing um, by the president of an executive order uh, relative to uh, artificial intelligence. And uh, it was really an honor to be there, to be in the White House. I've been there as a tourist, but to be there, uh, sitting in the front row, to watch the president sign this historic executive order, to watch the vice president participate in that, to be with cabinet members, uh, was was quite an honor. And um, I did have a very brief conversation with the president. Uh, he basically said as he came over to shake my hand that um, and if artificial intelligence could give him a head of hair like mine, then he was all for it. And it was uh, his timing on the delivery of his comments, his joke was, was impeccable. And uh, people around that heard it thought it was well done and quite comical. Yeah, not many people get to, you know, have a brush with a, a, a president, you know, a, a, a United States president. And you you were lucky enough to at least uh, get a nice compliment like that uh, from him. Let's, um, I, I, while would you talking a little bit about the uh, the criminalizing of revenge porn, uh, recently, this bill actually has uh, received favorable report from the Joint Committee on the Judiciary. What happens now, now that it has uh, been received favorably by, in this report? It was reported out of committee to the House Committee on Ways and Means. They will review it, and they will make a determination if to report it to the floor, and if so, when. And we fully expect that it will go to the floor of House of Representatives. We're not sure when exactly. And they, if they act favorably on it, as they have in the past, then it will come over to the Senate, be referred to the Senate Ways and Means Committee, be reviewed there, and then hopefully come to the Senate floor for a debate and a vote. And if there are any differences between the Senate version and the House version, those will be reconciled to what they call a conference committee. I think any differences would, will be easily uh, reconciled, and then the bill would go off to the governor for her signature. We're hopeful that that will take place soon after uh, the first of the year. But, you know, there's no really accounting for the legislative process in terms of when bills will move. So, um, But we'll continue to push this one. We've had uh, some input from people who uh, have survived revenge porn. And in the course of um, them being victimized by it, uh, the, the stories are really horrific. And some really courageous people have stepped forward to share their stories, including the chair of the select board in the town of Abington. Um, you know, what he did was really incredible and truly, truly impactful, as was the testimony of other people who appeared before the Judiciary Committee. I think in large part that's what prompted 
the quick report of the bill out of committee. And again, it bodes well that, you know, here we are, it's, you know, you're in the first half of the legislative session that, you know, if it's report being reported out favorably, that there's a, a good chance that this is something that could uh, finally make it onto the governor's desk. Yeah, there was support for it last year, but it got caught up in the end of the session, um, the traffic jam. And so getting it out early, as you say, yes, I think bodes well, and we will push it um, through January, February, and hopefully get it done before the mad dash at the end of the session where things sometimes get lost. So that's our goal. Again, you're just tuning in. We are speaking with State Senator John Keenan. Uh, he joins us for the State House report. Um, I, I guess I want to talk a little bit about the, the gun bill. I know it is voted out, voted by the House. Now I guess it's making its way over to the Senate. Any any uh, early discussions with any of your colleagues as to uh, you know where people where where other senators stand on this? Is this something that there's going to be good debate, or you know they're going to take into account some of the you know the Massachusetts um, police chiefs who are not in favor of such legislation? Um, yes, I you know there's this outreach going on to all the different entities, organizations, advocates, individuals who are interested. In this bill, I'll be meeting with uh, the Gun Owners Action League shortly, meeting with the chiefs of police in my district uh, to discuss their concerns about the legislation. I have met with uh, Senator Timothy, who's uh, the chair uh, of the relevant committee, and also with uh, Senator Cream, who's the majority leader, who will be working on a Senate version of the gun bill. What I have expressed through this process is I have a desire to do more in terms of suicide. Um, we forget oftentimes that more people um, kill themselves with a gun than there are people who are killed by way of a gun. So um, suicide by gun is more common than homicide by gun, and that includes mass shootings and the shootings that we see on the news every night or read about in, in the newspaper. And so I've asked that we pay particular attention to the issue of suicide, that we do as extensive and uh, data collection as we can then use that data to help inform us uh, on policy to address the issue of suicide. Uh, We've also talked uh, a little bit about, you know, component parts and what constitutes a gun, talked a little bit about the assault weapons ban, Um, we talked uh, about the licensing process and whether live fire should be, uh, live training should be a part of that process. There's a lot of discussion going on, a lot of, issues that are up in the air. One that seems to be of particular interest to many is the expansion of the red flag law. And that is a law that basically allows a gun to be confiscated whenever it's deemed that the owner or possessor of the gun is a threat to themselves or others. There are due process protections that follow that. Uh, and it is, it is prompted by uh, individuals reporting it to law enforcement. And so there's a general sense that perhaps expanding the categories of the individuals that can report to law enforcement under the red flag law um, and be done. So uh, that's something that we're looking at as well. But there's an awful lot of discussion going on as to a Senate version of a gun bill. Well, I guess, it, I guess it'll bear it'll bear watching to see, you know, when it will be something that is taken up and where the discussion goes. Yes. Um, it's all, you know, my, my experience here is that whenever these issues come up, it, it really is uh, – a, a process that prompts a lot of discussion, and I think it's important to hear from as many people as possible. And I'm hearing from people already who are in favor of stricter gun control, 
laws, they call it gun control uh, or gun safety laws, hearing from people who believe that our laws are sufficient, uh, as they are some of the toughest in the country. And so we take all of that into account. We meet with experts as well and try to come up with something that um, addresses real problems and results in a safer, safer communities and a safer commonwealth. And then finally, Senator, the final piece of uh, conversation that I have is, uh, you know, folks have gone through the moaning groan of having to, you know, set their fall back, spring ahead, daylight savings. Um, I, I believe that is something called an act relative to Massachusetts time zones and sunshine protection. This bill had actually recently... Um, I guess it has been before a joint committee on the state administration and regulatory oversight. Yes. Um, and the bill draws attention twice a year, not surprisingly in the spring when we spring ahead and in the fall when we fall back. And then during the course of the year, um, when there's a hearing on it, it draws quite a bit of attention as well. This bill has been filed in several sessions. It's been included in an economic development bill. Um, it provides that Massachusetts would basically go permanently into the Atlantic time zone, which is the equivalent of staying in daylight savings time uh, for the entire year. But it also requires that Massachusetts, um, couldn't, it also states that Massachusetts could not do that alone. It could only do it when other states do it as well. There's a general sense and recognition that doing it state by state is difficult and, and that a federal approach is needed um, and that this bill is a part of that dialogue that will prompt federal discussion and perhaps action. I know the Massachusetts delegation is aware of this bill. Senator Markey is quite aware of it. And so um, you will see where the federal government goes with it. And in the meantime, the state will continue to study it. Issues that come up uh, relative to safety, it's pretty well documented that going forward or falling back um, does result in some workplace safety issues, driving issues. And then it ties in as well as to start times for school-age children um, and whether they'll be going to school in the dark in the morning, but have that um, more daylight in the, at the end of the day. So um, it prompts that discussion as well. Well, Senator, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just quickly, if uh, any constituents are tuned in in the Norfolk Plymouth District and they may want to reach out to you, um, how can they get a hold of you or your office? So they can reach me by email at john.keenan at masenate.gov. And then they can call me as well at 617-722-1494. And we are happy to meet with people in the district at the local library, a coffee shop, a town hall, uh, during the day or during the night, as schedules accommodate one-on-one. Um, and all that is in addition to the regular office hours that we hold. We just held some recently at the library and also at town hall. So I'm happy to do that. And that's the best way for people to get in touch with me. Well, Senator, again, I want to thank you again for being a regular guest on this radio program, and we look forward to the next time. If, if we don't have a chance to talk to you by Christmas, uh, at least I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Same to you, and thank you for having me, and thank you to the people of the district for allowing me the honor of representing them. Thank you. You got it. That, again, is uh, State Senator John Keenan, our guest uh, for that segment. Uh, we are going to quickly transition. We actually, we actually have two people in studio, so we're going to stay here. Just for five minutes. <laughs> As uh, we get two gentlemen who are actually, it's kind of a preview. We were supposed to have them on this evening. It was a little bit of a mix-up on my behalf. 
So the idea is going to ask these two gentlemen to come back next week. But there's actually a, a, a grand opening at the current Weymouth. We have joining us, we have Michael Glynn, Nigel Barker. Gentlemen, welcome to Monday Night Talk. Thank you very much. Great we, to be here. Hold on. you to put your microphones up. Say that once more time. I said thank you very much. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, you know, and so we're, we're going to get deeper into the conversation. We'll talk to us about what it was like today for um, for the current, which is one of the uh, um, one of the monarch communities. You're the CEO of Monarch Communities. I'm sorry, I'm confusing Nigel and and, and Michael. Um, tell us a little bit of what happened today, Michael. Yeah, I'm the guy with the Boston accent. He's the guy with the what kind of accent? The, the really cool the, accent. The the, the, the the wrong accent, right? Mm-hmm. Not not the but the Bostonian one. I'm I'm still working on that. <laughs> so talk to us about what happened today, because because this uh, event grand opening is could be something that is uh, uh, could change things when it comes to senior living yeah this is this is a game changer on the south shore for uh the latest that senior living can be and now is um located at 1435 main street we had a terrific event tonight had a couple hundred people uh headlined by uh mayor headland uh weymouth mayor who's gonna be joining us in a few moments oh great yeah great uh uh, also there was State Senator uh, O'Connor. Okay. And uh, so we we had a great event. We talked about uh, really what uh, the South Shore has needed for a long time, which is a real continuum of care. Now, a lot of uh, what's offered in uh, on the South Shore, wonderful communities. Uh, but what differentiates our community is uh, really the continuum of care and our focus on Wellness. What I mean by the continuum of care, we're really a one-stop shop uh, for for people across um, a range of things: independent living, assisted living, and memory care. Uh, we can uh, really have a solution for families in needs with the the growing needs of um, you know f- elders as they become f- frail. No, Nigel, what's your what is your role and what is your part in, in all of this? We, so, again, Mike's the CEO. What are you? I am his henchman. Um, Very nice. <laughs> so essentially, you know, anyone who knows America's Next Top Model would know me. <clears throat> I've um, worked on that show for 18 seasons wow. as the judge and photographer, and I'm a family friend of Mike's. And um, so, you know, n- never really worked in senior living, as you would imagine. I've worked with, uh, you know, people like Taylor Swift and uh, sh- shooting for magazines like Vogue and, and Harper's Bazaar and things like that. And, and, and so I come from fashion. But Mike has reimagined the senior living space. And when he started to describe to me what he was creating, and I've watched him do this because I've been friends of his since he was basically at college, um, you know, for f- t- 15 years it's been now. Um, and I've watched the entire development. And so he approached me and said, I'd like you to help me with the marketing and the advertising. And I said, well, how would I do that? That's not what I do. And he said, well, no, literally, I'm creating America's Next Top Senior Living Facility. Wow. And so what can we do? I want to tell a different story. I want to show people what it could be like. And, you know, and he's reimagined the space. And so you know, he's all about well certification, which is really the, the, the sort of the, the formative way of living. It's using light to its best. You know, so fantastic light coming into the buildings, great access to water and, and the best water you can. And it's simple things, having fresh fruit everywhere so that you, know, you can live your best life. You think a lot of these things, you, you sort of overlook them as if they are sort of normal. But actually, in, in the high majority of these places all over the country, if not all over the world, 
world, um, a lot of these things are an afterthought. It's about how many how many people can I fit into a place, and oftentimes people don't want to be moved into senior living. So our job was actually to showcase just how extraordinarily beautiful and fantastic it could be. And I interviewed people, and their interviews were so sort of uplifting and it was the next chapter of their life and how much they were you know really meeting new people and finding themselves again and all the rest of it so it was a sort of a really fun project to work on if folks want to find out more again we're going to have more conversation about the current weymouth next week at seven o'clock can i have both of you here next week at least one of you here we can we come in on right i could come in on um certainly i could call in okay it's kind of cool that I've actually watched Top Model from time to time. And it just, it, you know, I finally connected. I'm like, oh, my God. That's who the, you were one of the judges That's from time right. to time? 18 seasons. Fantastic. Um, well, we'll have you win on uh, calling in. And, Michael, would you mind coming back in next week at 7 o'clock? I hope to be here. Yeah. Okay. If not calling in. Yep. We can figure this out. Definitely right. can. We're going to step aside. And when we come back, more Monday Night Talk. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marsala. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio at McGuigan's. Sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center. On Saturday, November 18th at 2 p.m., Ventress Memorial Library in Marshfield invites you to join us for a special performance, The Sound of Music and Songs and Stories with Ruth Harkovitz. Enjoy the songs you love from Rodgers and Hammerstein's most beloved musical. Also hear stories about the real Trap family, whose story is much more interesting than that of their fictional counterpart. As always, this program is free and open to the public. We'll see you there. By the middle of the week, so much news has come your way, you need your own team to sort it out. Lucky for you, there's Jared Valenzola and the JV team to talk about the things you've heard and catch you up on some things you might not know. I'm Jared Valenzola. Join me and my guests as we have fun with current events and try to put things into perspective each week. Sponsored by Corey Welch of Boom Realty. Catch the JV team every Wednesday night at 6.15 here on 95.9 WATD. Download previous episodes of Monday Night Talk and listen to them anywhere. Check out 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome back to Monday Night Talk, another talk segment. Joining us is the original host of Monday Night Talk, also uh, uh, re-elected to a third term as of last Tuesday, we have Weymouth Mayor Bob Hedlund joining us on the radio program. Mayor, congratulations. 
Thank you, Kevin. Good evening. Good evening. So, uh, I, I mean, overwhelming, uh, you know, uh, support from your community. Uh, I mean, what was it like running yet again for a third, third term? Is it, you know, do you feel satisfied with, with the vote turnout and uh, what the, the residents have to say? Uh, well, I feel satisfied with the results, but obviously not with the turnout. I mean, it was a low turnout, I think about 17%, um, which is unfortunate, but it's not surprising given what I believe I see uh, happening with civic engagement and informed electorate. Everyone will know about the spread on the uh, Patriots game, but they really don't pay attention to, uh, you know, immerse themselves in, in Bread and circus, but not really paying attention to how they're being governed. That's frustrating. How do you? I, well, I, and again, you're not you're not you're not somebody who's you know new to politics. You're somebody who served uh, you know up at the state house as a state senator, did a great job, and you know decided that you know you wanted to take your talents back to your local community and, and ran for mayor successfully. Um, why is it? Why why is our culture so disconnected when it comes to civics? I think it's social media. I mean, social media has, has led to the demise in many ways of uh, or the electronic age we're in has led to the demise of newspapers. People now, kids, even adults, um, think that, you know, news content should be free. And that's led to the demise of newspapers. And I think that's led to lack of uh, information getting to getting to uh, citizens. I'm reminded of the... Uh, <laughs> Ian Hunter song, Soul of America, Frankie and my, Frankie and Johnny in my neighborhood don't read the papers as much as they should. If they had the time, you know that they would. You're looking at the soul of America. I mean, we had people, I had people stop me at the polls um, who were actually voting and said, well, how come the town doesn't send any information out about the candidates? And I said, well, you know, that's traditionally not the role of, uh, of government. It's uh, the role of, you know, media and just citizens informing themselves and that information is just not as readily available uh, other than relying you know people rely on social media which is basically uh you know the rumor mill in a sense yeah, yeah it's not you know it's you get you know if you pay attention depending on what you're paying attention to yeah you can hear you know, different things that aren't necessarily within the, the ballpark of being the truth. And, and folks more and more, you know, they, that's their source, you know, that's the, their, you know, their water fountain at, you know, the, the, the water bubbler at work, uh, where they get their source and how they might want to invest or, you know, or who I'm going to vote for when it comes to uh, the 2024 presidential election. Yeah. Hey, I'll give you an example. We were talking the other day about, about this issue actually at work and, um, at the beginning of my political career, when I went, ran for state Senate, um, my first run covering my race and actually most of these outlets were present, um, on election night, you know, broadcasting live, uh, was WATD, two different cable stations actually, uh, covered the race, you know, and actually covered live on election night. Um, you had, um, AP covering local races. You had, you had the Globe, the Herald, Patriot Ledger, the Weeklies, the Mariner Chain. Um, on election night back, you know, my first Senate run, I know that we had a Women's News reporter present, a Hingham Journal reporter present, and actually someone from the, the Mariner. And I know that those other two papers were part of that chain then, but they had, you know, somewhat autonomy. Um, 
it was just, you know, incredible coverage and, and, you know, engaged media, but a lot of those outlets, um, because of circulation or subscriptions can't support that kind of staff to do that kind of coverage anymore. So it's sort of kind of like a, I don't know, race to the bottom or something. What do you, when you look at your community and again, being successfully reelected to a, a third term, what do you see are the, you know, the, the, the issues or the things that you'll be tackling for the next four years in Weymouth? Um, obviously finances are always a struggle. We've been fortunate with, um, new growth in our property tax levy because of all the redevelopment we've had here in Weymouth. That's enabled us to fund our schools. When I came in, we were on the verge of a state fine, uh, because we weren't meeting net school spending. We're 14% over that now. We've, um, you know, reopened a fire station. We're paving roads at an unprecedented rate. We've done all our parks and fields over. We've created three new parks in the last few years. Um, taking down a polluting incinerator. So we're on the move. It's all been good. You know, frontline fire um, apparatus pieces from 11 and a half years down to one year on average. So we've made a lot of investments in the community um, and it's due to the fiscal management, but you know, a lot of that is redevelopment and new growth. And you know, some people don't like the change that that brings. Um, so we've been fortunate there. That's going to be the main focus as we go into the new year, working on the next budget. And we have a number of capital projects that are underway that we are excited about finishing in the new year or getting, getting uh, underway in the new year. Uh, the Columbian Square project, an $11 million project. It uh, hopefully will bring some uh, order to Columbian Square or Kamikaze Square, as it's often referred to locally. Right. We have the um, long-awaited uh, beach connection uh, and coastal stabilization, coastal stabilization project in North Weymouth. Um, that was, um, started when we applied and was successful for the first time in Weymouth history, getting the Seaport Economic Advisory Council grant. Uh, that, uh, project had been identified as a priority for the town as far back as 1979. So that is, uh, after lengthy permitting, we'll be starting construction, uh, shortly on that. We've got a whole bunch of coastal infrastructure work. Um, we've completed a couple of seawall projects, but we have our biggest seawall project that will be underway in the new year. Um, all kinds of waterfront improvements down at the beach. So a lot going on um, as we go into the new year. It's worth asking you, knowing that you're going, this is you know about to complete your first year under a, a new administration uh, up at the state house. Um, how has the, the new administration differed from uh, the Baker Polito administration in being able to kind of get things done in the community, uh, looking when it comes to, you know, the finances or any assistance that you may have you easily were able to get under one administration, but with the change of hands is, you know, a change of language? Uh, great question. We had tremendous success uh, in securing grants under the previous administration. I think we tallied up um, in the last few years about $22 million, uh, in grants. We were hugely successful on that. I, you know, I mentioned uh, the Seaport Economic Advisory Council, Mass Works grants, library construction grant. Um, so that, that was really good. Um, there were a couple of times when I had to kind of we got them on merit and a couple of times that you know we were in a very competitive situation and we lobbied for and were successful. It's going to be interesting. I can't judge the new administration just yet on, on that front. We have um, 
one interesting thing happening with them, the new MBTA housing law, which is uh, a great intrusion upon local control that uh, got no real coverage in the media and got no debate in the legislature, which takes some zoning control away from communities. We were actually ahead of the curve on that. So we're going to be making our case to the administration that, um, you know, that they've now interpreted that law, by the way, that they, they can uh, penalize communities for not building housing um, near MBTA facilities or if you're an MBTA community even, and uh, not necessarily even immediately near a, a train station. But um, we're ahead of the curve. We, we created a lot of trans, transportation-oriented um, development here in town, so we want to make sure we get credit for that uh, moving forward. And we have um, a, a project that's on the books that we want to make the case that we could use a MassWorks grant to help, given the fact that it is a TOD project. Um, so we'll see what kind of response we get from uh, the administration. I know I'm probably going to be having a discussion with the lieutenant governor on that, so I will reserve judgment and hope that we have the same kind of success moving forward with this administration as we did the last. Knowing that you're somebody who has, you know, it's unprecedented when it comes to you um, remembering and knowing certain legislation fights that you, you know, you, you know, certain bills that you fought for and also paying attention as to what's going on up at the state house with different pieces of uh, different bills. Um, how closely do you follow what goes on up at Beacon Hill these days? Um, and, and what are some of the things that you may be watching that may benefit your community and neighboring communities, or that you're hoping that, you know, there might be some legislation in the works that will be, uh, again, to the betterment uh, of Weymouth. Uh, good question. I don't, I don't know if I have a definitive answer on that. I mean, you know, with six months in on this administration, I guess it is. I guess I'm concerned just kind of the overall spending trends, uh, some of the actions that have been taken that make um, Massachusetts, I think, less competitive and uh, what, you know, state aid as a result is going to look like. You know, there, there, a lot of uh, a lot of money got going out the door right now on a lot of other things other than local aid. And, um, again, that makes communities like Weymouth and others that you broadcast in uh, hugely reliant on, uh, on new growth and, you know, and development's a debate in many communities. It was the number one debate in the town of Braintree, obviously the last couple of election cycles. Um, so I think that's probably my main concern. And again, if you're just tuning in, uh, you are tuned in to Monday night talk here on 95, nine W A T D. And we're speaking with the, the, the original host, the, the guy who created Monday Night Talk uh, to make it something that has uh, still lived on. Uh, and we're talking with uh, Bob Hedlund. Uh, you know, he's the mayor. Interesting, you mentioned Braintree. Uh, you know, during your time uh, in office in Weymouth, uh, we're going to see yet a third uh, mayor, Erin uh, Joyce, uh, successful over Charles Cookhorse. Uh, give me your thoughts. I mean, Braintree is a neighboring community. Um how much work do you do with with neighboring communities, and will you know a new administration be something that you you look to see uh, what they do as someone who abuts uh, your community? Yeah, great question. I think of all the communities that Weymouth abuts. I mean, we abut um, Hingham, we abut um, Holbrook, <laughs> we abut Braintree, Quincy. Maybe I'm leaving one out. I don't know, um, but um, we probably interact more with Braintree uh, than any other community common issues in Weymouth Landing. It was a joint effort. Before I became mayor on zoning down there, we had a couple of capital projects down there that encompassed both towns. 
Um, one of the issues looking forward that I didn't mention is we're working on a plan to uh, tap into MWRA water here in Weymouth. And, you know, we're going to need Braintree's, Braintree's cooperation on that. I held a couple of meetings with Mayor Kokoris on that. We're going to have to restart those discussions with the new mayor in, in Braintree, Aaron Joyce. Well, by the way, I had a random encounter with in a restaurant a week ago Saturday in Weymouth, so I'm glad she was spending her disposable income um, in Weymouth and helping our meals tax revenue. But got to know her then. That was the first time we actually met, and uh, we, we ended up chatting for about an hour. Uh, she seems quite capable, and we look forward to having a good working relationship with her. You know, I, I could also throw out there, I know that as of late, we have a new master developer in the uh, the, the space that was the uh, the naval base. Um, what's your thoughts on that moving forward, and are you kind of hopeful that this group is going to be able to kind of come through where other uh, master developers fell short recent, uh, over the recent years? Yeah, so... This is the first master developer that has, you know, been put in place since I've been mayor. I mean, I inherited uh, Kyle Corcoran and Elstar um, when I came in, and that obviously was a debacle. You know, don't have to rehash that, but uh, with him basically embezzling, allegedly embezzling from his, his business partners um, and everything imploding there, you know, we've got a group in place now that has a national reputation. If these guys can't do it, nothing will ever happen there. Um, they're quite capable. Uh, they have reassembled the parcels. That was a tedious task. Um, they got about a $60 million judgment on Star, which um, is what they really needed to accomplish to clean the title on a lot of the parcels there. So they've achieved that in terms of putting Humpty Dumpty back together in that sense. And now... Um, they have been successful in working with the three communities on the rezoning, getting a more realistic zoning um, in place. Rockland approved theirs. That was the last community to approve it. They improved theirs last uh, week. We're working with them cooperatively on the MWRA issue. Obviously, they cannot build without uh, a water sewer infrastructure over there that is beyond our ability to uh, provide for them. So that's moving forward. Um, and the residents that do live that do live there and have invested in that property are excited with uh, the progress that's being made now. So that is on the right track after uh, zigging and zagging for a number of years. Probably one of the last things I would ask you on this uh, on a serious note, and that is, is we see the the migrant population steadily growing. It has grown beyond a cap that the the governor uh, Governor Healy had put in place. Uh, and I, I believe that a, a sub budget was passed to be able to assist uh, the, the numerous people who are still coming here into the Commonwealth. Um, is this having an effect on your community? Uh, and how closely are you watching this situation? I'm going to step up here and get on an even bigger soapbox than I'm on now. And, and I'll tell you that right now it's not impacting Weymouth directly um, in any major way. But what was interesting is. During the Obama years, um, you know, we still had a broken and dysfunctional border system. That's, that, that's nothing new. What's new is the unprecedented volume of people that are entering the United States, um, either illegally or quasi-legally under our broken um, asylum process. Uh, the asylum process is, quite frankly, a joke and a, and a giant loophole. 
you know, if you're a asylee and you make a claim that you're an asylee, they're saying, well, they're going to process you or make a determination in four years. And, you know, you can just hang out here while we do that. That's not even going to happen. Um, so a lot of the asylee claims are questionable. And we actually had, during the Obama years, a huge number of asylum seekers placed in Weymouth um, at the old Boston Motel which has recently been torn down and a, and a nice new redevelopment has occurred there. But during those years, um, it was an interesting uh, dynamic that occurred here in Weymouth. We had as many as uh, three school buses a day, you know, picking up um, children of the Silees at that location. Um, a lot, a lot of, of uh, public safety response calls to that place. Huge number of um of uh, police calls to that location. And a lot of the social service agencies would go in and inform folks there what their, you know, rights were, so to speak, or what benefits were available to them. And because of the category they were considered, which was homeless, um, they could basically walk down to a housing authority and, and, and get assistance with housing. And that's what occurred. And we had uh, folks that, you know, had come into the country that way get precedent over veterans, precedent over income eligible, lifelong Weymouth people that might have, may have been applied, may have been applying for um, public housing at, at uh, a couple of our developments. So it changed the complexion, quite frankly, of, uh, in the makeup and the demographic makeup of, uh, for instance, Lakeview Manor in Weymouth, uh, because of that. So that was an impact going back, you know, um, previous administrate two administrations ago. So I, I kind of see what communities like Woburn and <laughs> Plymouth and others that, you know, Kingston are going through now, what we sort of lived it back under Obama. You, you know, we've had a, a, a handful of uh, Republican presidential uh, debates. Uh, have any of the candidates given a, um, a decent answer as to how this can be resolved have you, you know, do you have any faith, whether it's the the individuals who are on stage or the individual who has yet to partake, that they could somehow be able to solve or, or at least get this going in the right direction when it comes to the migration problem? I think there's a lot of people that have both parties. Um, I think there's common sense people that, you know, have, have spoken out on this. I just don't understand what this administration's doing. Um you know, this is, this is like unprecedented and there's no country in the world that, you know, conducts an immigration policy this way and handles their borders this way. And I don't understand this. This is uh, just incompetence or a deliberate policy or what, but you know, when you have the mayor of, of New York city saying he needs $12 billion over the next four years to deal with this, I mean, it's going to bankrupt places like New York city and it's unsustainable. And, you know, for the most powerful country in the world to not be able to get a handle on their border, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. We're speaking with a uh, mayor, Weymouth mayor, Bob Hedlund mayor. I want to thank you so much for, for your time. Anything you want to say in closing, my friend? Um, no, we, we got through without any musical references. That's a first. Well, you know, I was I was going to ask you is this you know <laughs> until our next until our next until our next conversation. Uh, I know you're somebody who is you love attending live events and you you love sharing that information. 
You got anything that's uh, planned for the next three to six months that you're going to attend, whether it's um, a local venue, maybe, you know, the the MGM uh, uh, Boston of a venue that they have, or maybe maybe might partake in the uh, the Fenway series next summer. I haven't even seen the lineup. I know they announced Green Day or something like that. Yep. Um, probably won't go to that. Uh, I I'm sure I have some things queued up, Kevin. I don't know what I've got. The one that comes to mind, which is um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to see the samples at the winery. So I'm not really familiar with their catalog. I fell in love. With a, and you probably, this probably happens to you. You hear a song, and you're like, what is that? And I didn't. I knew who the samples were. I didn't know much about them. A great song called Streets in the Rain. And um, I picked up a UCD of theirs. I really liked it. They're not at the top of my list, but um, they're a cheap ticket, and go and see them at the, at the winery. So I'll learn more about them. I've never seen them live. Not out of the typical genre that you associate me with, I no. would add. No, not at all. But uh, let's let's make sure that it's one of the first things we touch upon when we we have you back on uh, either somewhere around Christmas or uh, thereafter. We will give you my review. Sounds like, sounds like a plan. There he is, Weymouth Mayor Bob Headland, our guest. That closes out the first hour of Monday Night Talk. Uh, we have more on tap in just a few moments. Stay tuned. You are tuned in to Monday Night Talk here at ninety five nine WATD. WATD FM Marshfield, WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD, streaming online at 959WATD.com and with your smart speaker just by saying play WATD. If you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, That's for Alcoholics Anonymous. AA is an inclusive fellowship of individuals all around the world. The one thing you need to ask yourself is, am I ready to do something about my drinking problem? For more information, literature, and videos about Alcoholics Anonymous, go to aa.org. To find a meeting near you, call 617-426-9444 or visit aaboston.org. Patriotism is like charity. It lives in the heart. Donovan Electric Construction in Pembroke wants to thank the military for standing tall and fighting for the red, white, and blue. Bold stripes, bright stars, and brave hearts is what this country stands for. America without her soldiers is like God without his angels. We don't know them all, but we owe them all. Patriotism, it runs deep. At Donovan Electric Construction in Pembroke, we live in the land of the free, thanks to the brave. Welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Don't just listen, say something. Call 781-837-4900. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. All right, we return for the second hour of Monday Night Talk. And uh, the second hour is going to be all about the arts. Uh, as uh, later this hour, we'll have Victoria Bond will be joining me. Uh, and we'll be chatting with her about uh, Ellen's Boys. That's going to be coming up uh, at 7.30. But um, you know, as whenever we are speaking with Michelle McGrath, we're usually giving you some kind of preview of things to come. If you're looking for things to do when it comes to your calendar, sure, it's great to hang out with friends and go to dinner, but sometimes you want a little bit more. Maybe you want to get involved with the arts. Maybe you want you might want to go to a local 
show, whether it's music driven, whether it's theater, you name it. That's what we're here doing, and uh, we're, we're privileged to be able to speak with Michelle McGrath from McGrath PR and rela- Media Relations. Michelle, welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Thank you so much. Good evening, everybody. It's so nice to talk to you again. Yeah, so this is so uh, our conversation uh, this evening is uh, holiday and winter arts preview. Uh, I can't, and, and what's interesting is it's never it's never skimpy you there's so many different, <laughs> there's so many organizations uh that trust in your ability to be able to get the information out as a a public relations organization that the, the list continues to grow and we do our best to try to get everything in but there's so many people that you're assisting we can only squeeze in so much or if we do they're kind of a little bit abridged right Yes, absolutely. And I'm, uh, you're right. It is an enormous privilege for me to serve all these organizations. And, and it's very exciting to see the arts thrive so much again. Um, you know, looking at, looking back at the last few years thinking post pandemic life is, is, uh, being restored. So it's, it's wonderful. So, so we're going to run down a list of, I'm going to, you know, bring up the organizations. And and the and the the date of the uh, their their set event, and I'll let you kind of fill in the blank. So I'm 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 providing the outline. And you're going to color it in for everybody. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So let's let's start off with uh, the Concord Women's Chorus. Uh, they have sure. a web they have a website ConcordWomen'sChorus.org, and they got right. an event coming up on Saturday, December sixteenth. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So the Concord Women's Chorus, as you might guess, is. Uh, vocal choral ensemble of women's voices uh, from that metro northwest area of Concord. Um, and they're doing a really neat thing here where they're um, having this concert called a Celebration of the Glorious. So they're using this opportunity of the holiday season to explore Vivaldi's signature piece work, The Gloria. And they're doing that um, together with other Gloria-like work um and so it will be a really beautiful program all women's voices and they have um, a spectacular lineup of accompanists and um instrumental musicians that will go along with that as well so uh, it's only one performance and that is going to be held in concord uh they use trinity as episcopal episcopal church as their venue and the ticket prices range from 10 to 30 dollars that can be purchased online at the the website conquerwomenscourse.org or you can get them at the door. All right. Uh, and, and let's talk again, and this is an organiz- this is a, a group that I have had a chance to interview in the past for some of their great productions, the Americana mm-hmm. Theater Company, and they're going to be uh, putting right. putting on It's a Wonderful Life. Now, is this going to be a, um, a live in-person production or is this going to be something that's a play on radio? It absolutely is that. So it's a live in-person production of a radio play. So basically what you're doing is you're exploring the um, historic WBFR radio studio, which I suppose you'd have some interest in radio, right, Kevin? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, and there's, there's small ensemble. They play out 40 roles with their microphones and sound effects and, and the, you know, the quintessential applause sign from this, you know, like kind of step back in time moment. This show is so popular that they reprise it every other year. So it's a, a biennial production. It usually sells out. I highly recommend seeing it. 
every time they produce it, I see it. And you can imagine I have to be very careful about how I fill out my calendar with client events because I, I, I wouldn't be home at all if I if I went to all of them. But this is definitely one I always attend and enjoy the cast. And it's funny and it's nostalgic. And you leave there in the holiday spirit. So I highly recommend that. That's on select dates between December 9th and 17th. There's evening performances at 7 p.m., matinees at 2 p.m. at Plymouth Center for the Arts, right in Plymouth Center. Great restaurants down there. You can go make it a dinner and date night. Um, and you can grab your tickets right online at Americana Theater. That's theater itself, T-R-E dot org. And they have a tickets page there. Or you can call 508-591-0282. It's, and it's also worth noting that, that It's a Wonderful Life is something that has been done. There's so many great theater companies in and around the South Shore. Here's the one thing that I would I would caution uh, folks who might have seen one of those versions of It's a Wonderful Life. And I dropped a key word in there. Everybody yeah. has their own interpretation of It's a Wonderful Life and being able to go and see it and see what what the, what spin and what they do that's a little little different is also right. part of the ambiance. Absolutely. And if you if you remember also it's also the, the setting of a popular American holiday season film. Um, and so that is, you know, again a historic and very memorable and sometimes people that's their annual holiday tradition to watch the film. Just think about seeing that live on stage and the impact that that would have. And again, the website, americanatheater.org. And as uh, Michelle uh, indicated, and as I always do when we're talking theater, theater is spelled with a T-R-E. So it's T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org. So keep that in mind. Let's shuffle on down and talk a little bit about the Coral Society of the South Shore as they have uh, they have a, an annual concert coming up on Sunday, December 3rd. Yes, they do. I know. They're just a wonderful organization. So they are centered here in where I live in Situate, um, and they have an amazing group of community singers. Um, so if you have the opportunity to, um, you know, come out and, and support this course, this year their, their concert is going to be performed in Duxbury. Um, they move around with their venues depending on the size of their ensemble and the size of the, the anticipated audience. So they will be performing uh, the concert Bright Morning Stars. It's their 64th annual holiday concert um, under the direction of Danica Buckley. She's very well known around the South Shore with um, several um, instrumental musicians, one of which is Angelica Vendetti, one of my dear friends, um, performing on violin, and the, the, the ensemble is going to explore works that are, like, focused on themes of stars and light. So you can imagine how that would sound. Um, there's a few favorites. Uh, myself as a choral singer with another ensemble that we'll talk about later. Um, you know, there's a few favorites of mine here. The Holy Star from Jacob's Shining. Oh, my goodness. You cannot imagine how beautiful that piece is. And, of course, pretty much every Cole concert has some version of Silent Night in there. They'll also explore some um, Christmas carols, and who knows, maybe they'll turn into a sing-along. Um, you can check that program out at CoralArtsSociety.org online, um, or visit them on Facebook to learn more. And um, the tickets range from $10 for 
um, the Mass Cultural Council's Card to Culture program, where where people that are financially, um, you know, facing difficulty can get very inexpensive tickets to concerts, and they go up to twenty five dollars depending on age. Also, um, students or um, children that are ages eighteen and under attend their concerts for free. So, you know, if you have a large family and you want to do something during the holiday spirit, you could potentially take all of your children to this concert for free. So I highly recommend um, seeking them out. Again, that would be at First Parish of Duxbury on Sunday, December 3rd at 4 p.m. And again, if you are just tuning in, you are tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. And our, our fantastic guest, uh, she is a, uh, a reoccurring guest. We have her on uh, with a regularity to kind of give, give us up to date on uh, events that are happening. Again, if you're looking to fill your events calendar, then you have picked the right time to tune into this radio program. Michelle McGrath mm-hmm. uh, with McGrath PR and Media Relations is our guest. And we're kind of, if you're looking for things to do during the holiday season, we've already kind of ticked off the list of a couple of things. The, the next couple of um, organizations or, or, or um, groups that we're going to be talking about uh, will feature multiple events, um, starting with the Plymouth Philharmonic Orchestra. They're starting from uh, an event that they're going to have this coming Friday, November 17th, uh, to the home to Hometown Holiday uh, on December 9th and 10th at uh, the Plymouth Memorial Hall. And What the World Needs Now, the Burke Bacharach and Friends experience. Uh, that's, of course, after Christmas, after New Year. But we'll, we can also try to find a way to roll that in as well. So let's let's start with the, the very first event that's coming up uh, later this week. Sure. It's a, such a thrill for me to be able to talk about the cell because one of my first adult experiences as a singer was to be able to perform at their holiday uh, pop concert about 15 years ago now. And so I'm so thrilled to be able to talk about them as part of my, my um, review program. So um, the concert Baroque and Beyond is actually part of the America's hometown Thanksgiving celebration that will be held throughout this coming weekend, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and it is going to be a gorgeous concert featuring Baroque era favorites, including Bach's Brandenburg concerto um, and Handel's water music. Um, If you've, if you love any kind of classical music, you know Papa Bell's canon, and that will be in there as long as well as other music by American composers. So that's being kind of a kickoff um, to this week's um, event on Friday, November seventeenth at seven p.m. at Plymouth Memorial Hall. Um, definitely go explore all of the rest of America's hometown Thanksgiving events. Um, they have their own website, and um, the fill has its own website as well at PlymouthSill.org where you can learn more about those concerts. And then they follow up with Hometown Holiday, definitely their most um, famous and popular concert series of the year. Um, So that's their annual tradition where they have the Christmas tree and they have special guests and they have um, students from the Plymouth school system perform with them. This year they're having my dear friend, actor Neil McGarry, who puts on his own one-man show, The Christmas Carol, all over New England. He actually lives in Italy now. He comes home um, to, to Massachusetts to perform. He'll be actually joining the program um, and offering some special um, content, along with um, 
the vocal tenor, Matthew Anderson. He's going to perform with Plymouth Community and Intermediate School Sixth Grade Chorus. There is a, um, a toy drive that happens at this event. It is the quintessential holiday, um, you know, concert. So if you want to get in the, the true spirit, this is the concert you want to get to. The tickets range from 30 to $100. Again, you can get those tickets at PlymouthSpill.org and also explore the rest of the amazing. And lastly, <clears throat> in January, the Phil looks at, excuse me, a concert um, surrounding Burt Bacharach's music. Now, this is the amazing thing about Burt Bacharach. They, a lot of people don't know the music that he's brought to the table. Sure. And if you understand that the, the romance that he's tapped into his top 40 hits, that he has this songbook that has this crazy span of music. I say a little prayer. This guy's in love with you. I'll never fall in love again. Close to you. There's so many songs. And so this is going to be a very treasured program being held on Saturday, January 20th, and Sunday, January 21st, also at Memorial Hall. Same ticket price range from 30 to $100. Again, the, uh, the Phil is also a participant in Mass Cultural Council's Card to Culture program. So you can go look into that and get some super discount tickets if money is a concern to you. And then also explore the season at PlymouthPhil.org. It's, and it's worth noting for, for anybody who has never been to Plymouth Memorial Hall, if you have never seen an event or taken in a concert, the acoustics in the building are fantastic. It's stadium seating. It's it's right. an amazing experience. And having and having the fill in there, oh my goodness, you will feel like you are like nowhere else. Uh, you know, maybe it's you've seen it is. It's a tr- it's a treasure. And again, if you're somebody uh, who uh, enjoys music, you enjoy the fill, and you enjoy you know a a, a, mu- a space when it comes to the acoustics. I strongly of, suggest you go. And all of the musicians are complete professionals. Yep. And my dear friend, the conductor and music director, Stephen Caradianis, is one of the most extraordinary people that you will ever see on a podium. And just a little known fact, he is often a backup um, for the Boston Pops or the Boston Orchestra for Boston Symphony to step in if there is an illness with the conductor there. So that's how much he is treasured that he is able to do these things. And also he travels all the world, all over the world with, with uh, student orchestras, um, just an incredibly accomplished human being. And when you see him on the podium, you are enthralled with his, he, he in his himself is his own performance. It's, it's, it's really special. So I, I do, like you said, highly recommend it. And again, it's the, the Plymouth Phil P-H-I-L dot org. If you want to find out about any of these events that uh, we had just uh, discussed in regards to uh, the Plymouth Philharmonic Orchestra. Yep. Let's, let's, Absolutely. let's shuffle on down and talk a little bit about the James Library and the Center for the Arts. It's like a multiple uh, um, um, events coming, uh, starting from an ongoing fall jury show to, uh, right. to later on in January uh, having a, um, in, um, an Italianate uh, architecture of the South Shore and beyond uh, uh, an event that's happening on the 23rd of January. Right. Yes, there are so many amazing things happening at the James. 
Um, it is truly a regional cultural center um, that is settled right in the middle of Norwell's historic center district. Um, and it's and that's also kind of nice because it's like the bullseye of the South Shore, right? Like the Norwell is kind of center of the South Shore, in my perspective. And and for people to be able to reach it from any of the towns adjacent to it, it's not a, a long drive. They offer such amazing things. It's a three-story historic building. It was re- recently made fully accessible. So there's an elevator to all three floors. The lower level is this beautiful um, art gallery space. They have rotating gallery exhibits in there. Like we mentioned, their Paul Jury show is in there um, um, on view from November 17th through the December 16th. So that's coming up uh, also starting this weekend. And they also have a lending library on the main floor. And the third floor is a beautiful performance hall where they offer lectures and concerts. Um, and they also do community connection events. Like, for instance, they're connecting with Buttonwood Books and Toys in Cohasset, where they're offering a program of the former Inley Schools librarian and a national book reviewer, Shelley Summer, works together with Buttonwood Books manager, Christine Hamill, who will actually give the best advice for best books to buy for holiday gift giving this fall. Um, so they, they're meeting on uh, Thursday, November 30th, actually at Buttonwood Books and um, Toys um, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. It's a free event. Just stop in. You can get some great ideas for holiday gift giving at that. Um, and then if you'd like to do some of the events right at the James Library, you can definitely, one of the people I always seek out for my own personal um, entertainment is Laszlo Gardoni. Like, I'm a jazz lover, but let me tell you, this is world class. And to be able to see somebody at world class musicianship in this very intimate hall, the, seat, the space only seats around 50 to 70 people, so you feel like you're right with the musician. And the um, acoustic is beautiful there, and there is nobody like Laszlo Gardoni. Like, he, he is one of the most expressive and technically skilled pianists in the jazz arena today. Um, and he's going to be performing with a few of his very um, dear friends and um, and the most extraordinary, John Lockwood, who will be on stage, and you're in Israel, who will be performing on drums. And that, that is a magical trio. You do not want to miss that. So those are that's happening at the James Library on Saturday, December 9th. Um, and the tickets range from 20 to $35. should be noted that there is a limited number of free tickets available for this concert, just available to senior citizens um, through, it's a grant through the Cordelia Family Foundation. So you can um, make those arrangements by making a phone call or visiting um, the website at jameslibrary.org. Um, following um, that wonderful concert, um, local architect Jim Kelleher, if you've ever noticed Axiom Architects, he's right out there on Route 53, um, and he has his own location. I- ironically, he's in, the, he's in the same building that I originally um, learned my PR expertise from when I back when I was working with my, my lifelong mentor, Farrell at PR First. They're, they're actually in the same building as PR First, and um, so Jim Kelleher is going to deliver this lovely lecture on the Italianate architecture of the South Shore. 
we don't think of this as, as, as an area for Italianate architecture, right, Kevin? I no. mean, you would know, being uh, from Italian, Italian background. Yeah. Sure. Right? And, um, but there really is that. So, so Jim's gone out and thought out, what is, what is the classical architecture in this area, and how can you compare it to construction of other areas that fulfill the term Italianate architecture? So this is going to be a wonderful event. It is free, so people can just attend this and not, um, you not have to pay for a ticket. And you definitely want to be able to also, um, you know, have the opportunity to get there a little bit early, just in case it's a full, full venue that day, and um, you know, and, and enjoy everything that James has to offer. So um, again, you can learn about their entire season of all kinds of art performance. Concerts, music at jameslibrary.org. And again, if you are just tuning in, we just got a few minutes left with Michelle McGrath with McGrath PR, uh, who provides uh, public relations, media relations to the arts and nonprofits and small businesses. She has uh, she has been our guest, and we have saved the best for last, and that is uh, the Pilgrim festival course i know it's something that is near and dear to michelle's heart uh probably her very being as well she might probably be a part of these last two events that uh, we're going to talk about regarding the pilgrim festival course what do they have coming up they have a couple of productions correct and indeed so uh december of course is the, the the perfect month to be performing any kind of choral music and there's some treasures that are annual annual traditions um, for choral singers. So um, for our first lineup, um, Pilgrim Festival Chorus is offering a three-day concert series um, called Christmas Joy, and that's from uh, works of the composers Britton, Rutter, and Sousa. Um, it's a beautiful program. I've been enjoying the rehearsals all season. We actually start singing um, Christmas music back in September, so we really are in the spirit by the time sure. December rolls around. Um, and this year, uh, we have this beautiful um, music that combines our voices with harp, marimba, and guitar. So that's a rare combination for choral music. And that's because of Conrad Seuss's wonderful collection of Spanish carols that's called Carols and Lullabies of the Southwest. So beautiful. It's a rare opportunity for us to sing in Spanish. And then add to that the sounds of a very popular piece, um, Benjamin Britten's Ceremony Carols. And John Rutter's Dancing Day. Um, uh, John Rutter's Dancing Day is a personal favorite. I've sung this before in other concerts, and it's a women's piece. And it just leaves you, like, elated when you hear it. Um, we'll uh, also wrap up this, uh, you know, with a collection of English carols. And it's just a magical moment. Um, so that is from December 1st through 3rd in Plymouth. So we sing our performances at St. Bonaventure Parish, a gorgeous church and um, in, down in Manomet, and it has so much space and the perfect acoustic for choral voices. So we definitely want to attend this. There's lots of space, and we definitely fill it up with lots of attendees because it is a very popular program. Um, the the concerts occur at 7.30 p.m. on Friday and Saturday, and the Sunday concert is a matinee at 4 p.m., and you can grab those tickets um, that range between 15 and $25, very affordable, at pilgrimfestivalcourse.org. 
PFC is also a participant in the Card to Culture program through Mass Cultural Council, and children always attend free for ages 14 and under at those concerts. Okay. Um, in addition, the, the chorus is producing our annual Messiah and Carol sing-along. So this mm. is a little bit different um, and a type of concert where the audience is actually the performers. So so when you attend this, first of all, if you, if you know Handel's Messiah, it is the most beloved piece of choral music that happens at the holiday season. And um, this allows all of the people that attend the concerts to actually participate in it. And so you can borrow um, a score at the door. You don't have to sing, but you can. And the space is divided by voice um Voices, you know, like tenor, alto, soprano, bass, and people sit in their supposed section. Um, and then suddenly the performance starts with some lovely um, instrumental musicians. Our accompanist um, performs on the church's 1887 organ. And we're going to be accompanied by cello, uh, cello and flute um, to be able to sing through the part one of this iconic masterwork. So it's so special to be able to do this. Again, you leave this feeling like you truly are now in the season because you have sung the Messiah. So um, that is on Friday, December 15th at 7 p.m. Um, tickets are only $10 for adults and youth. Um, that are age 12 and over that's only available at the door um, card to culture attendees and children under the age of 12 are all admitted for free so this is again another great way to enjoy something from the season that won't cost you some cash and it's located at First Congregational Church of the Green on Clinton Street in Middleborough um, so real quick so just so folks know I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, when we were talking about the James Library uh, jameslibrary.org if you want to uh, find out more about those events and then um, the two events that uh, Michelle was talking about the Pilgrim Festival Chorus uh, pilgrimfestivalchorus.org That's correct and if you'd like to see the entire lineup yes. the easiest way to find all of these events is to just go to my website so that's mcgrathpr.com and there is a button right in the middle of the main page that says See this season's cultural preview. And I have all of the events outlined and listed um, by calendar um, in, in the chronological order. And so you can check out everything that's available across the greater Boston Cape Cod area at McGrathPR.com. It doesn't get any easier than that. She's right. It's right in the middle. I'm looking at it right now. So, <laughs> Michelle, we, we unfortunately, we have to run. You know, I would love to have you on for the, the entire show, but... Um, I want to wish you and yours a, a very happy Thanksgiving season. And and if we don't hear from you uh, uh, until after the new year, well, I hope you have a, a Merry Christmas. But I don't know. I have some, for some reason, I think we might cross paths again uh, I before think, then. I think we will. <laughs> so, but, as we, we often do. <laughs> well, but I want to thank you for your time and your energy to share this with with my listeners and the listeners of 95.9 WATV, and I'm hoping that many of them have already begun looking at your website or have already filled their calendar during our conversation. I hope so, and I wish everybody out there a wonderful holiday season as well. Stay safe and healthy. With that, we are going to step aside. Uh, we've got one more segment coming up. We'll talk with the folks from the True Repertory Theater, Victoria Bond, and just 
a few moments. You are tuned in to Monday Night Talk right here, 95.9 WHD. Don't go anywhere. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marsala. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio at McGuigan's. Sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center. It happened at the supermarket, November 20th, 1993, a Saturday. Most people do not buy duck. We are not a duck-eating people. Who thinks of duck? College quarterback Dick Wright did. On impulse, he pulled a nice frozen duck out of the freezer. (laughs) But then he noticed it had the shape and the feel of a football. Cold as Green Bay, but a football. So on his way out, there's his brother by the pickup, about 35 yards. Bill gets a grip on that duck. He faints toward the end zone. His brother goes wide left, and that frozen duck had the ride of its life. That wobbling duck just flew. It smashed through the fingertips of the wide receiver and demolished the windshield of Sal Roseo's 89 Firebird. You just can't put a good spiral on a frozen duck. I'm Peter Brown from Tiny and Sons Glass. We replace your windshield, and insurance pays. One. 888-64-TINIES. Just call. And thank you. Invest your time in listening to Cape Retirement Radio and learn a smarter approach to investing so you can protect your future. Cape Retirement Radio, featuring Chris Latond, Thursday nights at 615 and Sunday mornings at 10 on 95.9 WATD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. And it's here. That's right, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. The final segment of Monday Night Talk. Shed no tears. It's okay. You know, it's almost like a... I always use this analogy. It's like a meal, right? You start out with the apps. That's the first hour, right? It's kind of the smaller portions. And then the entrees at 7 o'clock. But what is the best part of the meal? Come on. let's, Let's be honest here, right? Creme brulee. Dessert. And that's what you're getting. We're going to have dessert. And we are going to be talking with the great folks from True Repertory Theater. Uh, and we are welcoming Victoria Bond back. She is a repeat offender. She's, <laughs> she, as well as Melanie Gillespie is here as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about Ellen's Boys. Mm-hmm. And, and before I go any further, I also want to make sure I, I say thank you to uh, Michelle McGrath. Uh, earlier this hour, she, we had a bit of a break. So thank you so much to Michelle and giving us a little bit of a preview so we can fill our calendars for things to do during this holiday season. One of these days, Michelle and I are going to have to be on together. We keep crossing in the night. That would I, be a wonderful I know idea. Michelle. We know each other. She's worked with us before. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and she had actually mentioned that to me that, yeah. you know, 
you guys had, you know, you've had history with Rogue Theater. Yes. As yes. you and I and, yeah. and Adam Bond and all the great folks that we've, you know, worked with over the years and promoted so many great shows. Yes, it's true. It's true. We've been, you've been, oh, you've been good to us over these years, these many years you have. Oh, it's, it's a family thing where, you know, we're good to each other in so many different ways. So, uh, so we're here to talk a little bit about Ellen's Boys. This is going to be something that's going to be taking place, I believe, Friday. Saturday and Sunday. Now, before any of you go, ooh, what am I doing Friday or Saturday? Well, this is such a great show. It's already been sold out. It has. It, it, we have sold out Friday night and Saturday night. We actually are not going to be performing on Sunday. We are going to. We added a third performance, which is a Saturday matinee. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. So, and yeah, then, yeah. I, I, just, That's okay. Saturday matinee. You yeah, no, it's all right. It's. A, I just don't want anyone thinking they can come on Sunday because I can't. Uh, <laughs> it's a, a Saturday matinee at two o'clock. Um, so we've added a third performance, in which is really, I have to say, uh, we've been so pleasantly surprised and bowled over by the response to the show um as you know uh, ellen's boys is a, a, a it's a new script by james sullivan uh who works with true rep uh, we keep mentioning rogue but this is actually a true rep that uh, is production yep. Yep. uh so uh True. Uh, Jim is a he's a member of the company, and he wrote this play uh, many years ago, and uh, came to uh, True Rep to Donald and said, "Hey, I've got the script, and you know, would you read it and see what you think?" And we were going to be doing a, a new playwright uh, uh, festival, uh, so uh, he we read it and we, we loved it. We were going to put it in the festival, and then COVID hit. And so it all got pinned and shelved. And when we came back from COVID, uh, Donald uh, Sheehan, who's the artistic director of True Rep, said, hey, I love that script. I want, I, I want to do a full production. So we did a full production in 2021 um, at the Beale House in Kingston. And we got a huge response from the audience. So uh, effusive. People were absolutely passionate. Oh, I love this. You have to take this someplace else. You have to go to Boston. You have to do something. So we, we sort of decided, okay, let's try and push this forward and see if we where we can get to. And uh, we contacted the uh, Irish Cultural Center. Uh, we spoke with Aoife there, and she's been terrific, and she uh, hooked us up. And now we're, we're performing at the Irish Cultural Center in Canton. So hopefully it's, uh, you know, opened up to a new audience. And we had one night, only one night booked, a Saturday night. And she said, well, let's see how it sells. If, if you sell well, then we'll add another night. And then... You know, she called and said, you sold out Saturday night. Let's add Friday night. And then five days later, she said, you sold out Friday night. Let's add a Saturday matinee. So that's how we arrive with three performances this week. Friday, Saturday. Yay! <laughs> and and, and for, 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 for folks who, who don't know, again, this is the Irish Cultural Center. Uh, is located at 200 New Boston Drive. In Canton, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. if, if I'm correct. Yes. Let's, for folks who don't know, what is the story behind Ellen's Boys? What's the setting? Tell us a little bit about that for folks who may not know. Sure. Uh, so Ellen's Boys takes place in uh, the top floor of a triple-decker in Dorchester, Massachusetts in 1965. And essentially we're following uh, a year in the life of the Flaherty family. Um, it, Ellen is the matriarch of the family. She was widowed 
you know, with six children. She raised them on her own, essentially, in the bosom of the Irish community in Dorchester. And uh, we we sort of, her boys, the story focuses on her three boys and what happens with her three boys during the course of this year. And there's a lot of challenges and things that she sort of faces with them. You know, she's got a son living at home, Gil, uh, who is... Uh, trying to discover his sexuality and uh, trying to figure out how he's going to deal with his mother with regard to uh, his sexuality. And she's trying to marry him off. So, um, And you've got John, who's the, the oldest son, who's the, the priest around the corner at the, you know, the local parish. Uh, and there's uh, some foreshadowing of trouble in the church. And, uh, and we have uh, baby Michael, who uh, is uh, hooked up with an Italian... <laughs> as Ellen says, <laughs> and she's dealing with that as an issue. Um, so, and then she's got her sister Bridgie, uh, short for Bridget, uh, who is uh, losing her mind and uh, uh, trying to become an independent woman, despite the fact that she's got a child of her own. And so Ellen is trying very hard to keep everybody in place and in line. And we follow that through the course of a year. So there's a lot of laughs and there's a lot of tears. And it's uh, it's really a beautifully written show. Jim has done an extraordinary job. He has a gift uh, for uh, for writing, certainly. And he has a gift for uh, uh, writing strong women, really. Uh, he really has done a, a remarkable job. Let us uh, welcome in uh, Melanie Gillespie. Thank you very much. Melanie G. <laughs> Mel G. Who, Mel, 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 Mel G. Who we, if we should give a little bit of a plug, uh, um, I believe that uh, you actually have uh, a a school for for drama, mellow drama school of acting. That's in right, Milton and Quincy. That is correct for the little kids. So how did you how did you get uh, how did you get acquainted with True Repertory mm. Theater? How how were you cast in the role of Bridgie? That's a, a great question. So um, I, I started out many years ago as an actress myself. Um, I moved from Ireland when I was 16 with my family over to the States, oddly enough, to Florida, which is kind of unheard of. Um, I was a resident alien living in Jupiter. So that was interesting. <laughs> An interesting start uh, for my American life and uh, eventually made my way to Boston um, on the advice of several friends who had visited Boston and said, I feel like this is going to be second home for you. Um, I auditioned for the theater program at Emerson College. I was delighted to get into that program and um, got my degree there and kind of based myself in Boston acting around the place. Um, And then, of course, between the jigs and the reels, I got married, I had kids, and I realized, ooh, I need a little bit of stability. So I took two things that I love, um, children and performing, and decided to start a drama school. And that's what I've been doing for 13 years. And I've always been keeping my eye out for the opportunity to get back on stage. Um, I look, you know, through all the Facebook posts and, you know, through the websites. And my deal with myself is it has to be something that is going to speak to me because it's going to be a time commitment. I'm going to be carving out time and I don't have a ton of that. So um, I've I've looked through things and I've almost gone for auditions and then decided at the last minute I don't think it's going to be worth it. When I saw this advertisement for Ellen's Boys and all it took was reading that first paragraph, I was immediately pulled in. The relatability, the familiarity. 
I just thought, oh gosh, there, there's got to be something in this that that I could be a part of, or at least audition for. So, as an actor, you immediately go to the characters and look down through, you know, the uh, the descriptions and the ages, and is there anything in there? And I'm like, ooh, yes, there is a couple of things that could, you know, mm-hmm. fit me. Um, so I took the bull by the horns, um, grabbed a monologue made my way down to the Irish Cultural Centre, a place that I'm very familiar with. Obviously, I've two young boys myself and we've kept them very immersed in the Irish culture. So, you know, we we have been to the Irish Cultural Centre many times for shows and gigs and Gaelic football and, and hurling and all that good stuff. Um, and I have to tell you, I was very nervous. I really was. Oh, it didn't show. Yeah. I sh- well, I'll tell you what, I must be a better actress than I thought then. I guess you were. <laughs> because I sat outside <laughs> and I thought to myself, my God, it's been 20 plus years since I've done this. Um, now, I will say I was very warmly welcomed into the room. And that did, of course, you know, um, quelch the old nerves and performed the monologue felt a lovely connection um, I believe it was Victoria and Donald and Jim who were there um, we did a reading with a couple of the other people who were there and then I left and I thought this this is all I need this this alone is all I need if I never hear from them if I don't get a call back it, it's not a big deal just to have put my foot back into the world of, of performing which I so desperately miss and lo and behold, I believe a day or two later, I got the phone call from Donald asking me if I would play Ellen's um, humorous, um, sometimes uh, too fond of the bottle, sister Bridget. And I said to him, are you typecasting me? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I grabbed the role and I've been enjoying the rehearsals ever since. It's just amazing to be a part of it. And uh, they have been fantastic over there at True Rep. Hmm. Now, you, you have an authentic <coughs> Irish accent. Actually, no, I'm from Brooklyn. This is just the accent <laughs> I do for the show. It's pretty good, isn't it? You know, there should be a rim shot there. <laughs> It, this is not only an interview, but it's also a, a stand-up a comedy show. A comedy show. <laughs> but you you have to you interact with mm-hmm. with Ellen and yep. and of a lot of the folks on the South Shore when it comes to being able to. It, it's I think it's easy enough to be able to take on roles that have an uh, English. You know, you don't have to necessarily worry about an accent unless it's a regional one right. in and around the country. If you come from Boston, New Year's is probably a little bit more stronger than if you were somewhere out on the West Coast of the United States. Mm -hmm. But Victoria is known for she's able to do different accents Mm -hmm. from different parts of the world. And I think Mm -hmm. Ireland is is one of them. I think you've done some some British accents. I have. You know, so... I did Shirley Valentine. Oh, Lord. Liverpool, <laughs> oh, but I can't yeah. mess with that because no, I'll, you can't. I, I, no, you can't stay in Irish. There's no, there's no cross. No. You can't. I can't cross. You can't contaminate. cross pollinate. No, and you know, I, I had, and we've discussed this. Like I was nervous coming in, wondering, is the person playing Ellen before I knew Victoria going to be from Ireland? Because I was traumatized by Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise in Far and Away, <laughs> and so I thought, oh mother we of God, if this is going to be, you know, an American version of an Irish accent, I don't know that I'm physically going to be able to sit through that I have actually never been more impressed by an American doing an Irish accent than Victoria and and as my father would say may my hand stick to my wrist if I'm telling a lie what I, I 
I think it's a fantastic natural accent um, and I think the gift that you have is that you're not trying very it's not it's like there's, it's effortless for you oh that's nice I still don't understand how she wasn't raised by Irish parents I, I feel like she has grown up in, in a home where there was at least a, an Irish accent present that's not very kind of you. Yeah. I see. I love Mel. <laughs> <laughs> we became fast friends once I knew that she wasn't going to traumatize me with her Irish accent. But, but what, what has it been like with the two of you in rehearsals as, you know, two sisters, you know, either at odds or, or having, you know, a scene together? What has it been like for the two of you? You, Mel, for, yeah. you know, as being someone who, you know, this is... Mm-hmm. You know, you're allowed, you're, you know, speaking, you know, with a uh, Irish Gaelic, is that correct? Uh, well, program? just a, an Irish accent. Irish so, accent. Yeah. Gaelic would be the Irish language we speak. Yeah. Which, if this was in Gaelic, it would be a whole other kettle of fish. We definitely need a translator at that point. Absolutely. But uh, for you, Victoria, I mean, what was it with you? Did you feel inhibited at all knowing that that Mel was somebody who absolutely I was I was was very I was very intimidated for the first rehearsal I was like oh boy I hope my accent's all right Uh, you know and after we read through the script I said listen if you hear anything that I'm doing that sounds really wrong please Mm -hmm. please correct me you know Mm -hmm. what I mean because I I, yeah I try to be a stickler about that Mm -hmm. because it's important Um, but uh, so uh, but she was very kind very kind to it, to me. So she, yeah, she's been bolstering me up. And there are certain things that she will go, "Hey, you know what? <laughs> okay, thank you. You might want to say fella instead of blah blah blah. You know, like you did the other day. Oh, sometimes yeah, yeah fella sounds more authentic at home yeah. than guy. Guy. We'd right. rarely use the word guy. It would be a fella or a lad right. a lot of the time. But right. yeah. Um, and I will say I was listening to the kind of Irish accent that um, Victoria was presenting and I was matching that rather than me coming in with because we've several different you know accents well, obviously in Ireland like you would yeah. even in a you know in a county in a state right um, so um, it would be re- you would have regionalized accents oh right? absolutely right? and absolutely. dialects right yeah. 100% absolutely. so interestingly enough Victoria is kind of um, speaking in the kind of a midland Irish accent almost Ooh. which suits suits me just well because my husband is from the Midlands so I've kind of taken it upon myself to try to match that so that we at least sound like we're from the same neck of the woods that's good <laughs> God bless her yeah and if you are just uh, tuning in uh, you are tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD hopefully you are enjoying your creme brulee yes this is the dessert portion of our radio <laughs> program we got a few more minutes uh, with Victoria Bond and uh, Melanie Gillespie, and we're talking about Ellen's Boys. It's you know, Saturday matinee is all that is available for tickets. Yes, tickets are twenty five dollars general admission, twenty dollars for uh, ICE, uh, for um, the Irish Irish Cultural Center um, uh, members. Thirty dollars at the door. So you want to order these in advance. Tickets can be purchased online at True Rep's website. It is www.true.t.r.u.e.rep.theater. And theater, as I always say, and you actually heard me say it 20 minutes ago when we're talking about the Americana Theater. Um, all the theater companies use the T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Mm-hmm. Not theater like I'm going to go see Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. No, <laughs> we're talking about these are people who are performing on stage uh, but again, www.truerepTheater.com slash shows, and that's where you'll be able to get your tickets. Yeah. Now, you don't even need to do slash shows. Just do 
TrueRapTheater.com. It'll and be on the homepage. Go, it's on the homepage. So people can just click right on the homepage. Yeah. So we have uh, we got a, a few more minutes here, uh, and you know I just want to throw it out there: mm. Is there a chance, just a little chance, that we could meet Ellen and Bridgie? Right, is, right here, oh. right here, right now. Oh, well, sure. I mean, if we're <laughs> here, I can we, suppose can we call we can, them into the room. We, uh, you might Kevin. have to give us a minute, <laughs> <laughs> Bridgie. <laughs> What do you think? I will. I will just say, this is, this is radio, so you don't have to worry about actually getting into costume. Oh, but, well, that's well, a relief. That, that is a relief, especially <sighs> since I left mine at the theater. <laughs> so, is there a chance? I What's, think we could do a scene. Yeah. Yeah. Why should we? Uh, what do you want to do? You want to do the first scene we see them in? Why not? I think yeah. that's a good choice. Okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> All right. So, with no further ado. Here is Ellen and Bridgie, and you're getting a little bit of a sample of Ellen's boys. Oh, it's a heart attack. I swear to God, I'm coming, Lord. I'll be with you in heaven soon, Stephen. Bridgie, the neighbours, get up the stairs. Oh, the stairs. I forgot all about the stairs. I'm going to die on the stairs. Up! Oh, Lord have mercy. Bridgie, sit up. Bridgie, sit up. I see a bright light. Oh, I'm coming, Stephen. Bridget Margaret O'Hara, Fitzpatrick O'Toole, get a hold of yourself. Fitzpatrick? Nobody knows about Fitzpatrick. I know about it. I was there when you married the damn fool. There you were on your wedding day, running down the street from the church, and the damn fool trips, falls into the river and drowns. First a bride, second a widow, all in, on, in, all in one hour. I've never seen anything like it before or since. I loved Sean Fitzpatrick. Oh, did you now? His name was Paul. What? Your husband's name was Paul Fitzpatrick, not Sean. Paul. Sean was his brother. I know that. I only married Paul to make Sean jealous. You don't think I actually wanted to marry Paul Fitzpatrick, do you? Jesus, nothing ever works out for me. Paul drowns. Sean's a homosexual. I move to America. I meet Stephen O'Toole. I marry, I have his baby and he drops dead. One minute he's up on the scaffolding and the next a strong wind blows in and he's part of the pavement. Drops dead. And no good drunken sod. I hate drunks. Well, there'll be no drinking in my house and you watch your mouth. Oh, I'm sorry, Ellen. It's that movie. It's got my nerves all worked up. I'll fix us a nice cup of tea. A cup of tea. Now, that's your answer to everything. Well, it's good for what ails you. What's ailing me isn't going to be solved with a cup of tea. Well, you're the one who wanted to see that movie. You're the one who said we were going to see the movie. I don't remember talking about going to see a movie, did we? Well, no, but I, I had to think of a way to get Gil to go to that dance, so I fibbed, and once I had him convinced, I couldn't very well say we weren't going, could I? Oh, it sounded like a lovely movie, didn't it? Dr. Shivago. Disgusting. Where did he go to medical school? I'd like to know. Oh, so would I. I'd love to be his patient. Oh, but that's enough of that kind of talk. Oh, imagine a married doctor having an affair with his nurse. Well, maybe nothing happened and we won't know now because you wouldn't stay for the second part. Well, there was no need. I'd seen enough. And so had you. Look it. They were in love. Love? Is that what you're calling it? Oh, You live with the fairies, Bridgie. You always have. It was filth. If he were a real doctor, I'd see to it that they took away his licence. Oh, Ellen. Why are you so afraid of love? I'm not afraid of love. I miss my Francis as much as you miss your Stephen. Do you know, I do miss your Francis. And Stephen? Meh. Meh. What? What does that mean? Well, I had to. 
to marry Steve. Oh, please, let's not go into all that. It's enough having to see that revolting movie. We don't need to talk about why you had to marry Stephen O'Toole. Oh, that's right. Sure, look, let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about anything that matters. I mean, let's just call each other up on the phone and exchange recipes and talk about what we're doing and where we're going. And where are we going, Ellen? I mean, what is there for us? You have Gil. I have Mary Margaret. I mean, what happens if they leave us? What do we have then? Mary Margaret will never leave you and Gil. Well, Well, you send him off to that dance tonight. What happens if he falls in love with Eileen Sweeney, marries her and moves away? What'll you do then, Ellen? And what if Mary Margaret were to go somewhere? Where would a girl like Mary Margaret go? Well, I haven't told you this and I'm in no mood for a lecture. The sisters at St. Mark's want to take her in. (gasps) They need someone to cook and clean for them. She knows how to do those things and they take good care for her. Look, I know she'd be happy, but I really don't want her to go. I mean, if she leaves, what did I do with the rest of my life? Insane. (laughs) Wow. That was was fantastic. It's like being a fly on the wall. Oh, I love that. I love it. I, I, I definitely, bravo. Bravo, that was fantastic. Oh, good, good. And, and that was a great little sample of, if if, if you haven't seen Ellen's Boys, yeah. uh, this is your opportunity. Again, there's only tickets for the matinee on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, coming, this coming Saturday, so keep that in mind. Uh, Which I will point out, because I think, you know, my dad was uh, originally going to, he wanted to go to one of the evening performances, but... When I said there was a matinee opened mm. up, he said, oh, yeah. that's great because he doesn't like to drive when right. it gets super dark and he doesn't know the area in Canton. Mm. So it's a nice, if, you, if you're if you unfamiliar with Canton mm-hmm. or you're all nervous about that, you know, it's a two o'clock show. We should mm-hmm. be out by four, a little after, maybe 4.15 yeah. and people can get <clears throat> home, you know, while it's still light. And get I, back I think to the roads they know while it's still light. You that's know. a brilliant point. And I think it's also worth noting that there's a great little pub uh, downstairs yes. where we're all going to gather <laughs> after the shows and you know have a little dissection and a chat with the audience and um, a couple of drinks and just celebrate after each show so you know it'll it'll definitely have a feel even after the show that you're still in Ireland yes what is it what is it like for well I I have to ask Mel I mean what has it been like for you here we are Mm -hmm. you know uh, tech week right tech week and it's like are the butterflies are they welling up inside you going you know yeah can you Absolutely. not wait? You know, it's it's funny. I think that there is this um, kind of uh, a myth about actors that, you know, especially as we get older, that we don't get nervous, you know. Um, and I actually, and I say this to my own students all the time, we call it nervited is the, 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 the term I've coined at melodrama. <laughs> We're nervited. You're nervous, but you're excited. And the idea is that you don't want the nerves to take over the excitement, but rather you want the nerves to turn into energy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what brings the energy to the stage and the nerves focus us and they, they you know, keep us, you know, speaking loudly and engaging with each other and staying on track with the script. But there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, we definitely go through, um, you know, all the different various levels of you know, pre-performance anxiety, but there's nothing like getting out there. And once you've been 
welcomed by the audience and you feel the warmth in the room, something happens. The nerves dissolve. They do. And allow you then to really bring your character forth. That's and I'm really, I'm looking forward to getting over that hump because... I know. Well, and that's what's so joyful yeah. for us to at least have more than one performance. Because, yes. you know, one performance, it's how... Because, you know, it's, you kind of work out your nerves and, and you and then you feel like, well, now I can actually... I'm comfortable. I now can I can enjoy try, it. You know what I mean? And yeah. yeah. So it's, it's nice to have. Uh, a couple of performances coming up this weekend, you know. And being being a veteran of the South Shore scene, uh, and, and knowing that you're going to be at the cultural, the Irish Cultural Center, mm-hmm. what what is this? setting been like to be able to do a performance mm-hmm. for True Repertory Theatre compared to other places, whether it's the Beale House, you did a performance on the beach. I mean, things we did, like that. We did, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, well, this is, I mean, every every venue has its challenges, mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, and uh, we're sort of using uh, one of their uh, larger uh, sort of... Uh, ballroom? Ballroom, yeah, it's a ballroom, really. Um, and building a set, uh, you know, uh, in the ballroom. Um, what's lovely is that it's larger than the Beale House. We can certainly seat more people than we can at the Beale House. We have 150 seats per performance. Wow. So, yeah, so that's a lovely thing for us, and we're mm-hmm. very, uh, you know, happy about that. Um, but yeah, it's always fun, you know, to to kind of uh, to you know encounter a new space, and uh, you know, it's it, it, the challenges are, are they're exciting. Frankly, I find them exciting. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I want to thank both of you for for being my guests uh, on uh, this evening's uh, program. Anything that we haven't mentioned, well, I just do. yeah, I do want to mention just the cast. So we have uh, do. Don Sheehan who's playing Gil. Um, obviously, Mel Gillespie is playing uh, Bridgie. Julie Butler is returning as Kathleen. For people who saw the show previously, she plays uh, Ellen's oldest daughter. Paul Noonan is back as John. We have uh, Andrew Burke who's joined the cast, uh, and uh, Kenneth Wakeley and Elise Clinton, who are all new additions to the cast. And we also have uh, Kaylin. Uh, oh, Grigio. Uh, yeah. Gr- yes, Grigio. Uh, Grigio, who's a very talented young actor who's playing young Patrick. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're blessed with an unbelievable cra- cast uh, for this time around. Uh, so. so, again, please visit the website. It is uh, www.trueptheater.com. Uh, and please purchase your tickets while you still can. Um, ladies, I want to thank you for, for joining me. Is there something that... Uh, we need to know. Uh, well, I, I also wanted to mention that they can also purchase tickets on uh, irishculture.org okay. uh, as well. Um, and uh, Nick Wakeley, yes, I did, I did mention okay. Nick Wakeley. Yes, thank you. All right. <laughs> well, ladies, that's, that's... Kevin, thank you so much for having us. It's would, always so fun to see I you. I want to thank both of you for, for coming here. A and, pleasure to be here. And, and, and giving us a little bit, a little bit of an, a nugget. And until the next time we have you here. Yes, this is always the best way to spend a Monday night, my friend. I'm telling you, (laughs) I can't think of anything better. Uh, That's all the show that we have until next week at 6.15 p.m. Have yourself a great night.